0: Thank you for joining us for The Upside, the University of Illinois Press podcast. I am your host, Elizabeth Hess. I am joined today by the editor of Ethnomusicology, Dr. Frank Gunderson, and Dr. Lori Matheson, director of the University of Illinois Press. Dr. Gunderson is a professor of musicology at Florida State University. His research and teachings include musical intersections with intangible cultural heritage and sonic repatriation, African history, Islam, musical labor, veterans' issues, biographical approaches, refugee communities, and documentary film. Dr. Matheson's acquisitions include music, dance, and folklore. We plan this discussion in anticipation of the upcoming Society for Ethnomusicology 2021 virtual annual meeting. Thank you both for joining me today.
1: Thank you for having us.
0: Thank you. Let's start with you, Frank. Can you tell me how you got involved with ethnomusicology?
1: Thank you for asking, Elizabeth. I don't get to ask that question often enough. I have to say that when I was young, like in my pre-teens I think I was intuiting some things having to do with music that fell into the terrain about the musicology. And it had to do with like listening to my dad's record collection, who was kind of like an avid hipster blues record collector. You know, he had like 78s and 33s and you know, to our younger audience, if you don't know what that means, the size of the records and the revolutions per minute, you know, 78 and 33, I would listen to these recordings. And at the same time, I was like learning how to play guitar. And I had all these books that were teaching me how to play. And it's like all the stuff that was in those records wasn't in the books I was reading, you know, blue notes and bendy things and things that are a little bit off key and scratchy voices and stuff like that. And I was just kind of, i always kind of wondered, it's like, well, this is the music that I really like, but it's not in this introductory kind of formal education world. And when I got to be older, like a teenager, and then into my early 20s, I sort of was asking some of the same questions when it came to my interest in punk rock, literally punk rock. You know, punk rock made me an ethnomusicologist. musicologist, let's just put it that way, in the sense that it also seemed to be, you know, something extraordinarily interesting that just was, was off the map in the 80s when it came to well, any kind of music education. And so then I stumbled upon Bruno Nettles' work. It was his, you know, famous red book that has, you know, the 33 or 29 questions, you know, pertaining to ethnomusicology. And that book kind of spelled it out for me in terms of what should be allowed to be studied and what we should be looking at in terms of music that included context and included everything. And that's kind of where that connection became most evident for me in terms of just my own original interest.
0: Lori, let's talk about the university press's music list. It is very diverse and you personally have a long history with this area of study. Can you talk about that? Yes, I'm very happy to. When I started as an acquisitions editor, I was working in
2: history, actually. And after about five years of doing that, I took over the music list in addition to that from Judy McCullough, who was a foundational editor here who built the series Music in American Life. And that was really kind of a dream job for me. I have a background as a musician. I have several graduate degrees in choral music. I'm a practicing choral conductor and composer and singer. And to be able to work in the area that's kind of closest to my heart was really a delight. The list at Illinois has several different dimensions to it. Obviously, ethnomusicology is part of it. The series Music in American Life and just in general, a focus on American music We have an African-American music series with Portia Maltzby and now Eileen Hayes, who's replaced Melanie Burnham as a co-editor. And we have a couple of composer series that focus specifically on American composers in one case and women composers. We have a couple of outliers in Bach studies and Beethoven studies that are a legacy of the previous director who brought them with him from Nebraska when he came to Illinois, but the bulk of our list is really around ethnomusicology and American music. And I really see a lot of commonality in, in the way that we gravitate toward projects that are about the social context of music. And Frank just mentioned it's really foundational to ethnographic work, to the kind of immersive, experiential aspects of ethnomusicology and that kind of groundedness either in ethnography or in archival work that establishes a social context as well is really what characterizes our list, I think even historical titles, even books that we publish in European classical music, which we occasionally do. The ones we select usually have something to do with the social context of the music. So we published a book about the social worlds of chamber music in 19th century Europe. And really the social aspect of it was the reason that we published that book. There's lots of publishers that publish musicology titles that to do specifically with the text of the music, in other words, the notes on the page and how they came to be there in that order. And that's just a different approach than we take. And one thing that's really wonderful is that musicology is kind of catching up, I think, to this contextual approach at this point. So it's very exciting to see our list kind of gain more visibility as the idea of
0: music as part of a community's expression of itself really kind of rises to the surface. Frank, we're going to talk about ethnomusicology, of course, in a minute. But first, you have a Fulbright in Tanzania. How did that happen? And can you talk about that a little bit?
1: Sure. Thanks for asking about that. Yeah, I applied for a Fulbright about, well, a year and a few months back and was genuinely surprised that the proposal was accepted. And the proposal that I applied for was for what they call a distinguished chair award. So it's kind of a senior scholar type award that's quite new, actually. I mean, Fulbright has a wide range of possibilities for grants and anything from you know post-undergraduate to graduate student work, doctoral students and first year and mid-career professors. And then this the senior scholar award was a new one. And when that kind of came open, I heard some people applying for it and getting it. I thought, you know, I'm, I'm kind of moving into that category. So let me try that. And sure enough, it worked out. I'll be working with the topic of intangible cultural heritage in Tanzania and specifically working with a genre of music called música Wadansi, which is like the rumba music that more or less kind of came from Africa and went to the Caribbean 200 years ago and then came back to Africa with a vengeance in the 1930s and 1940s. A lot of people don't know this, but most African popular music, especially its roots are in this kind of Cuban influenced Roomba that came from africa in the first place and so i'm looking at the tanzanian version of that music you know it's, it's kind of run its course and it's fading away kind of like rock and roll in the united states in roughly the kind of the same time period like 1945 until 1995 or so and but a lot of those musicians are still around and most of their stories and most of this music really is just kind of undocumented
0: back to ethnomusicology Lori, and of course our books and how they connect Do you think there are opportunities for the journal and our strength in book acquisitions to connect? There are lots of connections in place. And, of course, the main channel is through our authors.
2: Authors publish both books and journal articles, of course. And the Ethnomusicology Journal and the Book List at Illinois are very prestigious venues for publications. There's a lot of crossover in these authors Almost every issue of the journal carries an article by a scholar who's been involved with a book publication at Illinois, either as an author, as an editor, or contributor. They might also have served as peer reviewers for our books. I would also say that this is really a three way partnership that includes not only our books and our journals, but also the society. And through our publications, we're seeking to build up the community of scholars and the body of knowledge that sustains the society in the field. And occasionally outright book partnerships with the society, such as we published a volume on Latin American music scholarship and translation that was a collaboration directly with the society. But that three-way partnership also includes exhibiting at the annual conference, building multimedia components to accompany journal articles, books that serve as the basis for discussions and debates about current pressing issues faced by the society in the field and
0: in many other ways. Frank, I know this is a very vast and vague question, but how would you say the field of ethnomusicology has changed in recent years?
1: Musicology, kind of picking up on the cues related to social context that come from ethnomusicology, I think that likewise, there are much more in-depth and nuanced understandings of history within ethnomusicology. I mean, that's one of many, many things that are going on that I think are, are don't want to say it's so recent. It seems to be a pretty common thing that used to be disregarded or left alone or done in haste. And I think that there's much more nuance that's being brought to bear in terms of history now. Other things having to do maybe with repatriation, having to do with biography, having to do with film studies. Film studies is a really exciting terrain, I think, that ethnomusicologists musicologists are beginning to kind of think about. Else. And in the past, you know, five or six years or 10 years or so, there's been a kind of sea change in terms of identity in relation to research. And so it used to be that Researchers would research areas and spaces and geographies that might be different from where they're coming from. And it seems that that's been kind of turned around recently. So, Puerto Rican scholars will do research in Puerto Rico. And it's a move that I think is very welcome and it needs to have happened. And we're kind of in process there. Lots of topics, lots of things going on, and lots of things to be excited about. Sound studies or getting away from the kind of anthropomorphic sensibilities about what music actually is to include environments that include animals and kind of revisiting older questions with more in-depth research that is based on science. Those sorts of things are going on there is interesting as well.
0: As we come up on the conference, Lori, this question's for you. In the past, you have been in a booth and face-to-face engagement at the ethnomusicology conferences, so it's easy to engage with authors there. How do you connect with current and future authors during online conferences?
2: It's taken me a while to learn how to use online conferences in the most productive way. Now I actually don't try to meet with anyone during the conference, but rather to spend the time listening to papers, which I don't have very much of an opportunity to do in general at conferences because I am tied to the booth. I'm talking to a different person every 20 minutes, and I want to take advantage of kind of walk-by traffic, and there's come, and their books on the table. I want to have a chance to celebrate with them. Online conferences have been a real boon to me actually to get a chance to listen to a lot of papers that I otherwise probably wouldn't have had a chance to hear. And so what I do now is clear my schedule, listen as much as I can to papers during the conference, and then reach out to authors after I've heard their work and schedule time to meet with them by Zoom. And of course, authors also reach out in advance of the conference or around the conference and we find some time to talk. We also have created a virtual exhibit for each of the major conferences that we usually go to, and that's also an interactive kind of opportunity. We always have Let's Talk section where my contact information and the journal editor's contact information is featured, and I think that helps just remind people of how active we are in these fields.
0: Frank, I know you know this, but there are plenty of music journals out there with different aspects of music. So what about ethnomusicology is more unique than other journals with similar topics?
1: That's a great question. And the answer might seem conservative, but I think that this has been the thread through ethnomusicology from the very beginning. And, you know, Bowie brought it up and has to do has to do with fieldwork. You know, it has to do with ethnographic research. I think that that's really kind of the main terrain that we have tread upon and that we continue to tread upon through all the changes that we've gone through, making our primary sources, based on interviews and based on conversations and based on points of view from those musicians and fans and music industry people who can share, you know, most directly insights about what it is they do that has to do with music. And you know, that really is the primary thing in terms of the questions that we ask and the kind of analysis that goes on in those conversations, I think, is really primary to our work.
0: Lori, anyone can come to you with a topic like Billie Holiday or pitch a book about Aretha Franklin or Janis Joplin. These are people we know about. These are mainstream. However, there are many other music topics that get your attention. What are some of the other ones that you really notice when authors come to you and submit their prospective books?
2: I always pay attention if there's an American or African-American topic that's not really taken for granted in ethnomusicology because a lot of the work is about cultures outside of the U.S. I really pay attention to work that is grounded in ethnographic work, like Frank was saying. There's a lot of writing about music that is not that, and I'm not saying anything about that, but it's just not really what we are attracted to. A lot of other work has to do with theoretical framings or literary readings of music, and that's just a little bit of a different track than what we're attracted to. I'm interested in work that asks a lot of good questions about how music connects with other aspects of culture, like gender, religion, race, also questions about material culture and questions about traditional practices versus modernizing influences, and Frank mentioned that intangible cultural heritage is one of his areas of focus, and I think that's just a really compelling aspect of what's happening with global music in our time also interested in work that considers the dance as a part of musical expression generally i'm interested in work that isn't just enclosed by the immediate context of the ethnographic case study but extends that frame in some way so that there's a methodology, a line of questioning, an interpretive frame that others can apply to work in other geographic contexts or cultural contexts. I mean, basically, I'm interested in work that changes the narrative about ethnographic study, about music and society that challenges some established assumptions. As Frank mentioned, I think the field itself is challenging some established assumptions in really powerful ways right now. And I think that ultimately is reflected back in the scholarship.
0: And Frank, you have the final word that actually dovetails nicely into my final question for you. Is there anything about the journal in general or an upcoming issue or a particular article that we should keep our eyes open for that you would like to share?
1: Prior to our extended COVID year, I had a backlog of almost a year and a half's worth of accepted articles. And... Then during the COVID year, it's like everyone I was talking to was kind of bracing for this, you know, avalanche of productivity that was going to come forth with tons of things. And I was really fretting of what I'm going to do is like I already have so many already accepted articles. And in the end, it didn't happen. There was no avalanche. It was like very little in terms of, you know, acceptable research articles. And so if anything, I should be doing right now is maybe pleading with our constituencies, like, go ahead, overwhelm us now with your work, you know, bring it on, you know, send your things in, because I don't think it's a crisis quite yet. But I'm kind of wondering actually now what to do about the next few issues.
0: Lori, <laughs> do you agree? Do you feel that same sentiment? Or are you on the opposite spectrum of Frank's thought? The pandemic really put a lot of weight
2: on scholars and faculty. So we've seen a big slowdown in every aspect of scholarly productivity. So people are delayed submitting their manuscripts. Peer reviews are very, very protracted because it's hard to find peer reviewers to begin with. And once it's set up, then sometimes, I mean, I've had peer reviews take a year and I've never had that before. Maybe it seemed like people were going to, have productive scholarly time, but you know, inaccessibility of research archives and research sites, not to be able to physically look at documents, not to be able to travel to field sites. Not to mention
1: the field work. I mean, even though of course everyone's talking about, well, we'll just be really creative and do all the same you know, zoomy stuff, but I don't really think that's happening.
2: And it's not the same. The immersion in another culture that's kind of the traditional path of becoming an ethnomusicologist is just really not possible right now at all. And so people are altering their projects, they're recasting their research plans. I mean, I think long term, there's going to be a big ripple effect of this year and a half or continuing pandemic and its impact on people's ability to be successful in completing their work. And of course, that falls most heavily on scholars who are already under-resourced. So often women who have competing home care responsibilities and certainly on minority scholars who may not have research assistants, they may not have cushy research budgets. You know, we will see that as well, that it's more important than ever to recognize the importance of supporting scholars who
0: don't have resources otherwise. Thank you for listening to The Upside, the University of Illinois Press podcast. The Society for Ethnomusicology virtual annual meeting will be held October 28th through 31st. Dr. Frank Gunderson and Dr. Lori Matheson, thank you so much for your time today. Thanks, Elizabeth.
1: Thanks again for having us.